Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome back to a new year, a new season, and a new episode of True Chat, a community podcast, a May music production. I am your host, Joy of Joyful Sounds, and this, my friends, is season four, episode one. Yes. I'm truly excited about what this new year has to bring. New partnerships, new interviews, new topics. I see our Democratic Party, especially in Georgia, is having a heyday, is in love with life right now. (laughs) This episode is titled Inglewood's Returning warriors <laughs> yes sometimes we leave as children and the reason i bring that to your attention is because what we think we know and what we actually know about people though what we do know is how we want to be treated you know how you want to be treated. I'm going to be moving us into the 15 commitments of conscious leadership this year. And as we spend time on knowing thyself and you shall know others, it's time to step that game up. I'm going to break down each one of these commitments and show you how we practicing or are not practicing. So to my people, my people of color, and to women of all nationalities and backgrounds, people that have alternative lifestyles with the new, uh, the new faces that have moved into government, I want you to understand that there's something behind taking ownership and accountability for who you are and what you want to see. And that begins with a conscious commitment to one's self, okay? It begins the process of a positive change and resolution to relationships, mostly unhealthy ones, and resolutions needed and constantly being searched for in organizational structures. Keep your eyes open, people. Our meaning black communities, uh, African-American communities, uh, taking or doing a lot of research, getting a lot of information, and then taking it back to their home front and us not knowing what they're doing with the information or the people of the community not knowing what they're doing with this information. And so a lot of times after it's been said and done, we see that 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 information and that data was used against us. How do we trust that? How do we trust that, especially when the faces of these institutions look just like us. Institutions and in governmental structures. 
So please, brother, tell us, tell these people who you are. Most definitely, most definitely. So my name is Jamal, but I've adopted this moniker uh, named uh, Amadi Abioy. And what Amadi mean is a free man, and Abioy means son of royalty. And this was sort of a, a spiritual awakening or transition for me, which uh, I don't want to get off track, but eventually I'll explain more of that later on down the road. But to uh, Joy's question, uh, trust, trust for me, it, it's, it's, it's difficult uh, given my own past and, and feel, the feeling of being neglected from the people that are, were closest to me. And so when I get into these situations where, let's say, um, it, there's a university that wants to come in uh, inside of these neighborhoods and do whatever they typically do with data, it's always going to be hard for me to trust given, given the history. We, we, can all, we can only make decisions uh, based on our emotions, and our emotions are driven from uh, what we've been through. And so in situations similar to this, um, for me, how, how I can trust is to try not to relive history and, and try to create a new history, but also being mindful of what has happened to us in the past. Um, but also allowing God to, and I know this is esoteric for, for some people, but allowing God to, to manifest in your life and, and play that role. And a part of that is to walk out on faith and, and be righteous within self so that you can trust other people. And I know Joy told me when her and I first talked, um, she said, know thyself. And at first I didn't know what that mean uh, about knowing thyself. I'm like, well, I know myself. My name is Jamal, this, this, and that. But then as I allowed that to resonate with me, it's like a lot of the, the distrust, it, it comes from myself. It comes from uh, the things that I've been through in my experiences. And so it's about now, how do I reshape that so that I don't allow those traumas to get in the way of uh, future opportunities? actually be talking to you that's what's up and i have uh I'm, I'm not sure how to how to reference him but as we always do on true chat we introduce ourselves so please sir introduce yourself to these listeners sure thank you for uh first for having me on um it's always a pleasure to talk with you uh I always hear some interesting things when, whenever uh, I'm in space with you. So it's it's a it's a beautiful thing, truly. Uh, my name is Troy Harden. Um, I am a uh, professor of the practice at Texas A&M University and also director of the Race and Ethnic Studies Institute. Um, I've also uh, spent uh, a lot of time, uh, you know, working in Chicago for a long time, and so I've just just recently started at Texas A&M. So just excited to be able to share and, and connect. Okay, so I'm gonna just side sidebar right quick. 
Those were some of my favorite track meets. <laughs> with mm. Texas A&M track meets. Right. Yeah. They, they had a squad. Host, yeah, they would host the uh the the Santa Monica track track team. It was just a, it to me it was just as big as the pin relays. Mm. Man, I those used to be my favorite times, okay? I ran track for Jackson State. And uh, uh, every okay. year. Okay. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I, I used to see it, but I didn't, I didn't really pay any attention to it only because, I mean, I, I, I mean, I knew about the meet and I watched the meet before, but I didn't think, you know, it wasn't personal to me, right? Until I got here again, I was like, that's right. They've always had one, a dope track team and two, they've hosted that piece. And so, uh, so they're they're a, a sports powerhouse in a lot of ways, you know. We also got Jackson State connection. My uh, my nephew is a junior at Jackson State right now. Awesome, that's what's up. I, I uh, yeah, I have I have a whole story about that. It's funny how uh, the people that I do end up interviewing, I am connected to in some kind of way, and sometimes it's really weird. <laughs> it's it's really weird. <laughs> But um, yeah, the like the track meets. I remember. I I remember seeing like to see Carl Lewis run. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike, Mike, all of them, the whole team. I remember watching the four by the four by four, the four by two, them brothers. Woo! Like to see Carl Lewis's legs, and they look like windmills windmills to see like it, it's a it was amazing like <laughs> yeah man i miss those days he was a fast brother he was a fast brother so um i had the pleasure of meeting troy at a caps meeting we 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 actually ran into each other a few times but the time that i remember you the most was at a caps meeting when you were doing a presentation um for evaluations for the uh time 2136 and i was so impressed because i i didn't expect for for me i feel like you you can get you can figure out everything you need you can shape and build everything you need based off of evaluation mm. so um i always felt like our people were behind late in the game on a lot of things and so mm -hmm. to see that that Inglewood had a, an evaluator and was very very good at what he was doing um, <laughs> I was very impressed and uh, kind of relieved to to a certain extent you know to feel like okay well you know we're not we we have progressed <laughs> We have progressed some, even though I hadn't, I hadn't been around, I do keep up, <laughs> you know? So um, what actually brought you to Inglewood? Well, I think, uh, well, first of all, thanks for the uh, compliment. You know, I think um, I, I try, I make the effort to do right by community. Um, terms of the work and also just to you know think about how we can tell our stories i think that's a big part of it um 
Uh, I've been working in and out of Inglewood and for a long, long time, uh, probably some uh, 30-something years. Um, my grandmother, aunt, aunt, and cousins lived, aunt and uncle and cousins lived in Inglewood for a long time when I was a child up until my teens. Uh, and also early 20s. I think they left when I was about 20. So I have been um, in and around Inglewood probably ever since I can remember. Um, and so for me, uh, being able to connect into communities and help share stories and, you know, help solve problems is, I think that's part of my natural inclination in Inglewood. Uh, I have I have uh, almost as many strong ties and connections as even the communities I grew up in. So, uh, so that's what brought me to Inglewood. I've heard um, that a lot of the the people that were actually doing work it was half and half. Like a lot of the people that were doing work in Inglewood were not necessarily connected to Inglewood. And mm -hmm. as I moved around that wasn't what i saw i just didn't necessarily know what their connections were so, mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that would, <laughs> i'm sure that would be a surprising to quite a few people who don't really know you but have seen you mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, yeah well you know there's i mean like, like i said my big mama was there right uh but you know it's uh it's not so i was talking to somebody last week it's not it's it's uncommon, but it's really not so uncommon that we come back home in different ways. That uh, and the desire to come back home is there. Um, so there's always um, that dynamic, I think, present in many, particularly in Chicago, where um, certainly there are people who have left there seems to always be someone who's come back or who stayed or had some connection where they stayed and come back to work for the greater good. So I think that is an interesting phenomena uh, for our people and um, connected to our sense of placemaking and displacement and being and um, responsibility so all those things i think it wrapped into that half that half group that you see come back right mm -hmm. um or, or those people who you see working who have these these other ties and i i also too um am often surprised when i hear somebody say oh i grew up over here or i did this i did that you know it's it's always interesting to me too um uh, which that's a whole nother story right it's those, mm -hmm. those who come back who've left, you know, it's like, uh, you maybe I, I should write a book about it or something, but it's, it's something it's worth, worth thinking about. Think yeah, you, um, I definitely, I wanted to say, uh, I want to come back to that, but I might as well go in on it. How do you see it affecting? How do you see people? Cause I'm actually one of them. And I feel like, uh, when I came back, I was being interviewed by, one of the outreach uh, members of Inglewood, and it was by my by my wanting, by the way, and pleasure, but it almost felt like it, the person was offended 
because I was, I left. Like, and, and that's how I feel with a lot of, not even like just that, that was just a, a mirror of what I see even in my family, you know? Like, well, shit, you been gone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, so I would really like to hear how do you feel like it truly affects what happens in Inglewood, the, the way of life? Well, I think, I think you know, I, I, I think about two songs, right? One, you know, I, I think a lot about music. music you know, music uh, gives me words and language to things that sometimes aren't always yeah, easy articulated, right? Um, and um, one is the, the Jackson song, right? Going back to Indiana, right? You know, okay. is that, 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 you know, and part of it because, well, one, I, I, I do have some connections to Gary, but also too, that that whole thing about, you know, I'm going, I'm going back home. You know, um, we we sing about it, you know, we think about it, but uh, is, but then there's another song, Gil Scott Heron, right, where he talks about you can never go back home again. <laughs> you know, there's this, this that that home. You know, I want to. I want to go back home because I want to get that connection. But in truth, I, you know, it might not be such a bad idea that I could never go back home again. Is what he says in the song. Um, so I think about there's always that uh, ambivalence, right? You know, we always well, well, people make meaning out of that home place and where they come from and the stories. You know, I was watching. Um, the Quincy uh, documentary, Quincy Jones documentary on Netflix. And, you know, he comes back to Chicago, like, in his, you know, he's almost, he's 80 years old. Mm -hmm. He goes back, <laughs> goes back to the house, right? You can see that look, right? Like, you know, trying to sort through and figure it out, you know? So, so there's, so there's that. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, and, and then for, for many of us, because it's, it's, it's part of what makes us who we are and as, as much as some of those memories may be painful or troubling or difficult, they are part of who we are. Um, yeah. and, and yet, uh, because leaving, I become something new, something different, uh, we aren't the same, right? And so we come back and the people who are connected to us, they know that and, and um, yet, there's something a friend of mine told me once or said to me once. He said, uh, you know, it's, it's um, when you leave and come back, um, it's not the community's uh, obligation, you know, to bring you back in, to trust you. It's your job is to make yourself trustworthy, right? And you got to figure out how to do that without smoking the joint on the corner, you know? And, and because, because people like us, you know, have left or have been in the community and have exploited the community, right? Have come back and exploited. So, so sometimes it, you know, they, we come back and we aren't trustworthy um, or we, or we leave and we split the scene and we take whatever and we don't come back, you know? So, so to come back and to be a part of and come back with, you know, degrees or titles, you know, or, or even skills where we think we say we can offer these skills um, it's, it, it should be questioned, you know, rightfully so. And so, um, so in that way, it's, it's our job to rebuild that relationship in the best way we can while keeping our integrity. 
And that's that's always been my my framing. Yeah. I I hear that, but I feel like that there's there's always room for for growth there. Because we got a younger generation who we didn't really raise to understand things like that. It just feels like rejection. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not it's not it's not their job to figure you out. It's your job is to figure out how to reconnect with them. Yeah. And keeping your integrity. So they yeah, they they you you a stranger to them. Um and so you have to figure out how to be, you know, rebuild that relationship to reconnect. I said we have to, not mm-hmm. or the people who've left, not them. You know, because again, people like us who leave, they exploit, they exploit the communities, you know, and so um and so so they shouldn't be trusted. And so that's what I'm saying is that it's the opportunity to come back and and rebuild that relationship first you know, again, without losing one's integrity. Why, why, why was your, what was your reason for leaving? I, I never left. I mean, cause, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm still in, I'm, basically I'm still in, what, what, left to Texas or, or left Chicago or left my neighborhood? Which one are you talking about? <laughs> left the neighborhood like the conversation in which way you're talking now for instance oh well i could argue that i never left because i i ended up um you know really in my neighborhood uh, uh 47th street you know in chicago i was uh that's where i lived you know for so many years and and when i left i left for uh, you know i lived on the west side for a minute which was just really about a relationship and so um but as soon as i could i came back so so i think i think but but at the same time the 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 neighborhood was gentrifying right Mm -hmm. and so uh so there were changes around me uh, in a different way, so I, I think I think my story would be different in a in a different way uh, than somebody who leaves that's gone for twenty, thirty years and they come back. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, but 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 the but the but the but the context remains right, and the context is displacement, and what uh, Mindy Fuller Love talks about in Root Shock, this phenomena that happens often in poor communities and communities of color of the potential for being uprooted. And so that is, you know, lives, you know, builds a fragile existence, you know, even, even working in Inglewood. I remember when I, when we started the time 2136 project, somebody <laughs> who was actually in Japan, right. You know, I, we, I, I, I posted uh, something from social media about, uh, you know, we started Time 21, so it was some article or something. And they were like, don't be a tool of gentrification, you know? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, you in Japan telling me that, but I, but all right, you know, I get it. Yeah, yeah, because, because that's a real thing that happens, you know, uh, the minute a community redevelops, right? Is it for the people who actually are there, so. You know, my situation is actually, I've never left either. My family has always been here. 
when I left, I I went away at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So the thing about the displacement is to me, I see a bigger picture. And a lot of what uh what I do with this podcast is bring people to see themselves. Mm-hmm. See themselves in a situation to see how uh it was created created on a bigger scale. And the outreach organizations in Inglewood deal with is a lot of the systematic racism, a lot of the systematic things that have torn our community, families and communities apart. And we're mm-hmm. rebuilding, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, mm-hmm. repairing them now. Mm-hmm. Um, though, when you're paying so much attention to that, it's just like pointing fingers. And you can't necessarily see what, what your place in it is unless there's someone that's saying, hey, hey, hey. And a lot of times that person is saying, hey, 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 because you might be stepping on them. Mm-hmm. Or you know what I'm saying, or mm-hmm. or missing them, or walking past them when they're trying to tell you or show you something. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of times people might be displaced because they were displaced. <laughs> you know what I mean? People right. leave things and situations, and I see that a lot of times in Inglewood. And when people try to get in, there's no space. People won't let. People won't allow it for whatever reason. And I hear, for me, I heard a lot of, like, me coming from Atlanta to Chicago, I felt a lot of, like, Black people down there are slower, Black folk are slower, you know, and I I really think they were thinking of slavery days. Because now, me coming to Chicago, Black folk here are, like, so far as it relates to having self-confident or knowing thyself, uh, was far behind far behind Mm -hmm. i do understand through a lot of the uh systematic or systematic racism and i don't necessarily want to just keep calling it racism just shit that shit that's gone wrong and shit that has happened purposely um to our people uh and and it was it was done legally (laughs) i'll put it that way what were some of the major challenges that you faced during the process of your evaluation? Would you kind of break down for the listeners what you did and what you do, what you were doing in Inglewood as it relates to the evaluation? Well, part of our work um, for this particular project was for Time 21 and 36 is simply uh, assessing what might have been what they considered to be crime drivers. So so initially it was really just collecting data to understand the phenomena of some of the violence and some of the crime in the community. Um, and that's about, you know, take a look at some of the, pretty much the hard data, uh, shootings, uh, assaults, you know, which is both publicly available as well as some of the uh, police department uh, uh, crime data, uh, but also getting a sense from the community what they felt was some of the, the issues. And so that's, uh, so I think we took the time to do both surveys as well as interviews with several people in the area to really begin to understand how people view safety, what they thought about safety, what was the threat to safety. Um, 
that was what we were doing in an effort in order to, you know, then think about how people could address uh, some of those issues. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I was going to ask, like, how do how do you evaluations work? Why? Like I gave to me what I feel and know evaluations do. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, data, data, data. But if you had to explain it to a high schooler, mm-hmm. the third grader, explain right. the importance of what, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think, and you know, that was part of what the work was too, because I think, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of communities have been exploited by folks who were researchers and things like that. And so, why is it relevant? And I think part of the way I say it is um, there are many ways to tell our stories. And so community deserves the opportunity to, to be able to do that. And it's, and it's in multiple forms. So if data, right, or more quantitative data says that, um, you know, 70% of the people in Inglewood live below the poverty line. Uh, I want you to say, is that true? Is that, how do you feel about that? What, is, you know, what are your thoughts? Is it, is it accurate? Is it false? What do you see, you know, as, a, as an individual uh, around that? And how does that, again, tell a story about who lives, where, and does what? Um, um, so I think it's the ability to use what we call multiple methods, not just one methodology to, to collect data. It's to really uh utilize everything from interviews to mapping to really understand the nature of a particular issue uh, in order to build what i consider to be more participatory methods to get at solutions so i'll use what what's called participatory models i get people to work together from different walks of life to ask questions um a, a guy named uh paulo frieri a brazilian uh, uh, educator and activist uh, created something that he called um, problem posing. Basically, working with people to, he said, it's more important sometimes as opposed to giving people answers to their problems, is teaching them how to pose questions to their problems and how to really frame and understand their problems. And, they, and they'll come up with their own questions and ultimately their own solutions. You don't have to do that. I think ideally that's the kind of work that I, I wanna do and I wanna be able to support are opportunities for people to ask their own whys um, as opposed to someone from the outside in. Because ultimately I believe that if you ask your own why, you also have the power and the capabilities to come up with your own solutions. Now, I that's 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 what I'm about. I mean, that, I would I would say that's just a uh, a part of what comes out of the base of me. You know what I'm saying? My my true root. But saying that to say, do you really feel like that's what people want? And I'm not even just speaking about Inglewood. But as an evaluator, I'm not and please, I'm not uh limiting you to being an evaluator. I just, that's just kind of how I flow with it. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> um, 
do you like through through your research and your work do you really feel like people want that because i've been on this path when knowing that is the only way that it, and it's called freedom it's freedom it's our birthright it's what we came here that's how we came here that is how it is supposed to be but everything has taught us and everything is working towards something different so do people really want what do people really want what what you what you're talking about this is all of kind of going into that whole self-determination mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and so what i'm saying is when people get that do you think that do you think people really want it do you think people really want to determine who and what their self is going to do get and receive uh sure sure yeah i mean i'm a social worker right uh i'm trained as a social worker and i'm trained as a culture worker so so my belief is you meet people where they at wherever they at you know and and they will tell you what they want need whatever that is the question becomes uh i think like any good educator um in any good cir circumstance you, you want people to be able to pose critical questions about the world and the world they live in. And so, so if anything, uh, you know, that's not always available to us in our education system to be able to ask critical questions of our world and the world we live in. But people do all the time and, and they do informally, you know, as, as we know, um, uh, social media becomes even a point of interaction. Sometimes, you know, we see the negative aspects of it, but, but, in, but in many ways, it's folks really determining their themselves, right? It's really saying, you know what, if I don't have any platform out, this is, this is my platform. This is my opportunity to declare me. Whether I feel um, like it's righteous or not, or whether it's, you know, uh, respectable to me or not, the, the reality is they are determining um, themselves or, or, or placing themselves uh, forward, you know, in terms of their, and what they do. Yes, Brother Troy, they are in fact determining themselves. But are they conscious of it is the question. And that is what I want to move into. Because my knowing is that more people, when more people are aware of how you are creating and determining your reality and what you want or what you need for, for self, we go about things differently. Or even in our asking or marching for what naturally belongs to us as human beings. So that moves me into giving a full disclosure and description of the first commitment out of the 15 commitments. Credit to the Conscious Leadership Group. These 15 commitments are going to work for me like, like Christianity worked for slavery. I folk use Christianity to enslave black folk Africans and black folk use Christianity to get out of slavery. So 
first commitment. I commit to taking full responsibility for the circumstances of my life and my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. I commit to support others to take full responsibility for their lives. Or when you're not taking 100% responsibility, this is what you're doing or saying subconsciously. I commit to blaming others and myself for what is wrong in the world. I commit to be a victim, villain, or hero and take more or less than 100% responsibility. So in other words, if you attend a meeting and in that meeting around the table, everyone is not talking about how they brought something to a situation, that meeting is going to take longer than what it needs. Trust. Everybody has a role to play. Okay? So think about that when you say, whose job is it to reconnect the returning child to its community? When taking 100% responsibility, it will always show all parties' true involvement. So what we want to do is give it up, and I mean give up love, respect, understanding for humanity. And the only way you're doing that is if you're giving it to yourself first. So yes, it becomes the responsibility of both the community and the returning child to connect. But once that child reconnects or makes the effort to, don't push them out or make it harder for them to get in. This is not a goddamn fraternity or sorority. The key is to know thyself so that you can have discernment for others that come into your community that want to exploit it. Know the difference. So you don't lose those warriors that came back to bring gold to the community, okay? You don't judge or block out or create a clique from somebody coming into a community. There's a reason why people had a path. They had to go learn some shit to bring back to this community. And soon, you all will be knocking on those doors and trust that they're most Jesus-like in understanding and knowing that that was to come. People know not what they do a lot of times, most of the time. It remind me of the story of Moses when we talk about self-determination. Let's make it deliberate self-determination. Okay? Deliberate in knowing that we are creating our own reality. And on that note, I'd like to thank all of my sponsors and supporters. I'm glad to be back on the air with you all, sharing this great information, having these great conversations. Be sure to tune in next week for more of True Chat, a community podcast. 
and today's temperature. I am Joy, your host, signing off and out. Peace.